0: man was a lone survivor on a shipwreck that ended up on a deserted island. Uh, He ended up there a castaway by himself without human contact for numerous years until finally a ship passed by and saw his SOS out on the beach. And so the ship anchored and the rescue team came ashore. And before they got into the boat, the man said, can can I show you around? Can, Can I show you what I've been doing these many years all by myself here on the island? And they said, sure. And so he said, well, that building there, that's That's the first building I built when I got here. That's that's the church. And He said, right over here is my home, and that's where I've been living, and just left of that is a shed that I built where I store all the produce and the things that I harvest. No people here, but a lot of fruit, and that's where I keep that. And he said, over there is a barn where I've put some animals that I found on the island that I've domesticated and kind of made them my pets. And he said, and then over there is the church that I built. And the man rescuing said, wait, wait a minute. He said, I thought thought that building was the church that you built. And the man said, oh, he said, that's a common mistake. He said, I don't go to that church anymore. That one just wasn't for me. (laughs) I've heard that phrase numerous times over the years. When I work with churches, when I've worked in churches, when I've consulted and helped churches, I hear that phrase from Christians a lot. Well, that church just wasn't for me. The problem I have with that phrase is, even though I've heard it in a variety of contexts, I don't think that's the question You and I, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to ask. I don't know if it's supposed to be, is that church for me, but rather, what are we, the church, supposed to be? In this sermon series over the next five weeks, that's what we're going to look at. We've called this the church defined. We're going to look at five descriptions that we often hear of the church that you can find in scripture, that describes who we are supposed to be as a body of believers following Jesus. Over the next five weeks, we're going to dive in looking at the church as a bride, uh, as a temple, looking at the church as a light or a lampstand, looking at the church as a body, and today we will look at the church as a family. And so, to illustrate that this morning, we're going to enter into something that could be slightly dangerous this morning, uh, but I've invited uh, my mom, Bev Ralston, to come on up. And Bev, come on up, mom. And she's going to share with you this morning uh, how this church, and specifically a real part of this church, has become family to her. And so I think it's going to illustrate what we want to talk about this morning. So, mom, have at it.
1: Don't know about me. One, I like to be highly organized. Two, I want all my ducks in a row. Preferably the shallow end of the pond. And three, I do not embrace change. Let me repeat that. I do not <laughs> embrace change. <laughs> Before coming to Wayne, I was living in an area that I'd lived in all my life. I was in what I thought was my retirement home. I was living among lifetime friends. And I belonged to a church that I was born into, baptized as a child. Confirmed in, married in, and I assumed I'd be buried in. But God had what I refer to as a ha-ha moment. He decided that I needed to change whether I embraced it or not. Dennis was working over here in Wayne. He lived with Justin, Megan, and the boys during the week, and me two days a week on the weekends. After retiring, we decided that I should move out of the area and out of my comfort zone. Now on one hand, I was very excited about this move because I was actually going to be living with my husband seven days a week instead of two, and I was going to be living to one of my children, his wife, and two perfect, almost perfect, grandsons, Colby and Caleb. This was priceless and still is, But on the other hand, I still had this nervousness about leaving my friends and my church. But wow. From the time I walked through those doors of Journey Christian Church and got a big old Bob Jones hug and a smile from Nancy Junk filled with love just for me, I started to instantly feel at home. And with a short time, Sue Stanley introduced me to a faithful, God-loving group of ladies that meets each Tuesday for a Bible study. These ladies provided me with the support and the friendship that I needed. These ladies pray with each other and for each other. They love on one another. They celebrate the good times, and they support the tough times. We share meals together. We gather for coffee in between times. We cry together, we laugh together, and we have great discussions. Most importantly, they've helped me grow in my faith and form friendships far beyond my expectations. They also reach out to others within the community. They're called WINGS, Women in God's Service. I call them friends, and I call them family. Dennis and I also joined a life group, which added another dimension to our relationship with others here at Journey and our relationship with the Lord. While in the hospital, my church family, alongside my family, gathered around me and provided us with meals and cards and visits and phone calls and some really powerful prayers. This church family was wonderful. The one thing I didn't realize when I made that change was just how much my church family would help me grow spiritually through these groups, Sunday morning messages, and the friendships that I formed here at Journey. God knew and he knew where to send me and exactly what I needed. I think sometimes our lives have to be reorganized. I think that our ducks have to Go out of that shallow area of the pond and be scattered. And we need to go to a place where we can grow. I have a sign in my house. I didn't have it until after moving to Wayne and being here at Journey for a while. It says, Grateful, Thankful, Blessed. I am. And I'm so glad. I put my hand and my faith in Jesus and I made that change. That change that gave me a church family here at Journey. Family can be described in many ways. One of the reason, one of the descriptions that I found was family has been described as a group of people who have each other's backs are willing to go to the ends of the earth to bring a smile to another's face. A true definition is a sense of loyalty and selflessness, love and genuine care and concern. Let me tell you you can find that here at Journey, I did.
0: That's better than what I got. So um, I kind of put her there in first service because I thought I'd have to bring it back in the rails. And uh, then I got up and I'm like, that was a bad idea because I was a mess in first service. But uh, man, if you don't like being a part of this church after hearing that story, um, we'll check your pulse on the way out, Journey. Um, Thank you for being that kind of a church, and this morning we're going to look in the book of Ephesians, and in chapter 2, Paul is going to describe to us what it took for us to be a church. He's going to describe what had to happen for the church to be a family, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 4, and in chapter 4, he's going to describe what that family should look like. And so in chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. Paul says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth or the family of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of the promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus is who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did this by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, in Jesus, one new man in the place of two, making peace. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were once far off and also peace to those of you who were near. For through Jesus we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of the family of God. That household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, you you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul tells us in chapter 2 that there's one thing we need to understand this morning. That a sacrifice was required so that everyone could be family again. That there was a sacrifice that had to happen before you and I could be family. Jesus had to die, not just to break down the wall between us and God, but to break down all the walls that had formed between each other. A sacrifice had to be made so we could be family. So what does that mean this morning? Well, first it means this, you and I, we all have a common history and heritage in this room. You and I all have, no matter where we've come from, no matter where you were born, no matter what you look like, no matter what you've done in your life, all of us have a common history. We were all at one time in our life separated from God by our sin. Sin had caused and still causes division in our family. All of us start in that boat, and all of us have been reconciled to God through Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, not only all of us in this room, no matter whether you're a follower of Christ or not, we all have the same history. All of us were sinners separated from God. If you're a Christian this morning, we also have that redemption that is found only in Jesus. And what that means is before you and I came to Jesus, before you trusted your life to Jesus, we were all in the same spot. And that's really important to remember this morning, that all of us come from a place of being in the depths of sin in need of a savior in colossians 2 paul said it this way he said all of you you were dead in your sin you were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh but god made you alive together with him having forgiven all of your sin all your trespasses he canceled the record of your sin the record of your dead in mind that stood against us he set that aside he nailed it to the cross Jesus' sacrifice reminds us that you and I have a common history this morning. It also reminds us that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have a common identity now this morning. We are family because of Christ. We're not family because of where we come from. We're not family because of how we live our lives. We're not family by what we look like or how we dress. We're family because of whose we are. That's true in our family too, right? Like, I'm not family with my mom and my dad and my kids because I look like them. I'm not family with them because I act like them. I don't. And I'm not family with them for any other reason. I'm family because I'm theirs. And that's true of us as followers of Jesus. Paul tells us that in Christ we have a new identity. He tells us that Jesus' intention when he went to the cross was nothing short of reuniting the human race with God and with each other, bringing two back into one. And and in Paul's context, that was Jew and Gentile, and what Paul is saying is that no longer is the banner you're identified under Gentile or Jew. You are no longer primarily identified by where you come from or what family you were born into. He says now you are simply identified as sinners reconciled to God through Jesus. Two camps into one. And what that means for you and I is in the church, in this family, nobody can ever claim to be better than someone else based on where they come from. That has no place in the church. Because we all have the same heritage. We all are sinners separated from God, redeemed by a Savior who died. It's that common dependence on Jesus that brings us together And church, let's be clear this morning, it's our job as a church and as a family to remind anybody that thinks they're not worthy, to remind anybody that thinks their life doesn't matter, that it does. Not because of where they come from, not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. That your life this morning is valuable because Jesus thought you were valuable enough to die for. And as a family, we have to remind each other of that. And if there's somebody in our family that thinks they're better than someone else because of where they come from, we need to remind them that they're not. Because all of us are sinners separated from God, reconciled only through Jesus. We're family saved by Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. And so it's our job To elevate each other to the identity that we have in Jesus. To remind ourselves of whose we are. In Galatians 3, Paul said there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. You and I have a common identity because of what Jesus did on the cross. And and understand this morning, this letter to the Ephesians, Paul's writing it from prison. And the interesting thing is the reason Paul's in prison, it's a false accusation, but the accusation that they drummed up against Paul to put him in prison was they claimed that Paul had brought a non-Jewish person into the temple. In other words, let's be clear this morning, what Paul has been falsely accused of is bringing someone of a different race somewhere where they didn't think they were welcome. And Paul writes from here and reminds God's people that we are all one under Christ. Paul's taking a stand in this letter. Don't miss this. What Paul is writing goes against the culture that he was living in. And what Paul is saying is that not only he, but the church, the family of God that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus always condemns anything that says you're more important than someone else because of where you come from. Paul is telling the church that this family will always condemn all forms of discrimination, of racism, of segregation, of any kind of favoritism that keeps someone out of a family because, based on where they come from or what they look like. Because we have a common heritage, and we have a common identity. The imagery that Paul's using in this letter is moving God's people away from a political identity to an intimate picture of a family redeemed by Jesus by Jesus that's what Paul's saying is this family the cornerstone of everything we do is Jesus the cornerstone is that critical stone in a stone building that the foundation sits on it ensures that everything is square everything's right and that everything's stable and that everything will last and Paul says if you build your church if you build this family on anything but Jesus it will fail and it will fall In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said nobody can lay a foundation other than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians 2, Paul reminds us that this family cost Jesus his life. Us being made right with God and being right with each other cost Jesus his life. Well, then in chapter 4, he takes six verses and he tells us what this family is supposed to look like. Knowing that Jesus died for us, what should we look like as a family of God? He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, what Paul is saying is, as a follower, you should live your life in a manner that is worthy of the family name. He says, you should do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, there's one body One spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, which is over all and through all and in all. And Paul is really clear that our church and that our family should be characterized by humility, should be characterized by gentleness and patience. We should put up with each other because that's what you do in a family, right? We've all got crazy Uncle Eddie, right? Some of you are. If you don't think you are, it's probably you, right? Every family has, you know what they used to say, EGR people, right? Extra grace required. And if you don't think you have that in your family, it probably means that it's you. And that's true in the church. Paul says we're supposed to maintain unity. We're supposed to be peaceful. What Paul's really saying is simply this. Our family should look and live like Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to look and live like Jesus. What does that mean? Well, first, I think it means our family, like Jesus, invites you to come as you are. If our family is going to look and live like Jesus, it invites you to come as you are. Uh, John Burke is a pastor at Gateway Community Church. He wrote a great book called No Perfect People Allowed. And at their church, their bulletins, when you could still have bulletins, uh, every week says this. It literally says this in their bulletin at their church. It says, if you're a newcomer, come as you are. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to be any particular age. We couldn't care less who you voted for in the last election. And please don't feel the need to pretend about anything. Gateway Community Church is a place where God meets seeking people who are far from perfect. And that means that everyone is welcome. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. So learn at your own pace. Ask questions. Seek. We really believe you're going to find what you're looking for. You'll learn how to relate to God. You'll experience Christian community here. And here's the big thing we think you'll change. So join us as we seek God together. But we just want you to know come as you are. If we're going to look and live like Jesus as a church, like Jesus, we have to be a place that says come as you are. That's family, right? It doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how long you've been gone. I don't know any family that doesn't say you're always welcome to come home. So whatever you look like, wherever you come from, whatever you've done, just come as you are to this family. If you want to come in your sweatpants, come in your sweatpants. If you want to come in your three-piece suit, come in your three-piece suit. If you want to come in a super sweet killer Broncos jacket on Sunday morning, come in that. Some of you missed that this morning. I didn't wear it up here because it would distract all of you. Come with your sin, come with your addiction, come with your doubt, come with your anger and your bitterness. Come as you are to this family. Because that's what Jesus said to each of us at one point in our life, right? While we were still sinners, Jesus said, come on home. If we're going to be a family that looks and lives like Jesus, we want to say, come as you are. In our family, like Jesus... We'll say, let's grow on mission together. Let's grow together to be more like Jesus on mission together. See, that's the beautiful thing about a family, is a family takes you in not because of what you've done. My family doesn't take me in because of where I've been or, or even what I might be able to do in the future. My family takes me in because I'm theirs. The same is true in God's family You don't get accepted here because of what you've done or where you've been. You get accepted because of whose you are, created by God. A family takes you in because of that. Here at Journey, we want to be that family. Are we perfect? No, not at all. But what we said over the last four weeks, we're imperfect people serving a perfect God who has adopted us through Jesus to be his sons and daughters. So we're going to live and walk together through the good times and the bad times focused on the mission of Jesus, to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. A <clears throat> church I served in, my first church in Sioux City, um, we had a guy that had started coming. He caught out of prison. Uh, he'd been in prison for a few years and uh, had found Jesus in prison and started coming, him and his wife, to our church. His name was Wade. And Wade had been going for probably two years and was just killing it for the kingdom of God, uh, w- winning people to Jesus. He was sharing at our church. He was leading a small group, um, witnessing all. He was just on fire for Jesus, and, and he was just killing it. His life was healed, and he was doing great, and probably been a couple years that he had been there, and one night, the lead pastor and I got a phone call from his wife, and she said, I don't know where Wade is. I haven't seen him in a couple days, but I think I know what's happened so we we assumed that somewhere along the line wade had probably relapsed and so we drove downtown in sioux city there was a couple bars that for whatever reason i knew um, that that's where you go um, if you wanted drugs or that's where you went to find those things so we went into that bar and asked some questions and eventually found out that wade was at this apartment complex in sioux city that was super known for like that was where i mean almost everybody that lived there was selling drugs and So we went to the apartment complex, we asked some questions, and we found out where Wade was. And so we went to the door and we knocked and we could hear him in there, but he wouldn't come to the door. And so so we left and and we sat outside and we weren't real sure what to do. And we found his truck and we began to worry that if we went home, he would come out and he maybe wouldn't be in a, a good state of mind to be driving and we wanted him to be okay. And so this is what we did. We went to his truck and we let the air out of all four tires. To this day, I don't know why we did all four. Like, one or two would have served the purpose, but we were on mission. And uh, so we let the air out of all of his tires, and we left a note on his window. And I don't remember the exact words. This was 20-some years ago, but it said something along the lines of, Hey, Wade, this is Justin and Dave. We love you. Uh, we're here for you. Please call us when you're ready, and we'll come get you. And we'll do this together. About a day and a half went by and Wade finally came out uh, from this relapse and he walked outside and saw his truck and uh, called his wife and she said, call those two. And he called us and we went and picked up Wade and we got him in our car. We got his truck fixed and uh, we kept doing life together on mission for Jesus. journey, I think that's what the church is supposed to be. Uh, We're not perfect But we're going to be a family that says, hey, we're here for you, we love you, and when you're ready, let us know, and we'll come get you. We'll pick you up when you're down, and you pick us up when we're down, because we are called to one hope that is found only in Jesus. So we are to be one body together, no matter what, living on mission for God. Tony Morita, the Bible scholar, says, be careful not to treat the church like a hotel, Just a place you visit occasionally, giving a tip if you're served really well. He says, rather see the church as part of your identity. See the church as part of who you are and understand that in this family, you have a role to play as we serve together on mission. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But Paul reminds us once again, just like last week, that the mission is too important for us not to do this together. It's too important to get distracted by things that don't matter. Too often, I think God's people, the church, are known and described for their self-centeredness or for their selfishness or for their stupidity on social media and, and their conflict. And that's not what we're supposed to be known for. That's not what I want my family known for. And I'm pretty sure it's not what you want yours known for either. Jesus said, the world will know that you're his family by how we love each other. In first Peter, Peter said, above all else, keep loving each other, because love will cover a multitude of sins. And if we want to be God's family, then we got to walk with each other through the good times and the bad, focused on Jesus. And, and lastly, our family, like Jesus, roots for each other as we march towards home. Like we're for each other, right? That's what family does. Jesus came because he's for you. He died because he's for you and he's for me, and we should be rooting each other as we grow and as we head towards home. It reminded me this week when I was in high school. I played baseball, and I was pretty good, and uh, we had a baseball game one time where a college scout was coming to look at this pitcher, not me, um, but he was coming to look at that pitcher, and so for Tilden, small town, the crowd was fairly good-sized, and we're in the middle of this game, and it's a close game, and I come up to bat, and there's a couple guys on base, and I just rip one off this kid who's supposed to be a major league prospect. And I smoke this baby all the way out to the fence, and I'm hauling around the bases. This is like 150 pounds ago. And uh, I come around, and two people score, and I slide head first into third, and we take the lead. And I stand up, and the whole crowd goes nuts, as big as a crowd in Tilden can get. And they all go crazy, and then they sit down, and the next guy comes up to bat. And I don't know if this is just because she's a little slower than most people, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear this voice. That's, I mean, literally, everybody has sat down. We're moving on. And I hear this voice that goes, that's my grandson! That's my grandson over there! I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Like, I'm 42 now, and that's embarrassing. At 18, I wanted to kill my grandmother. <laughs> and But you know what? The older I get, the more I realize, you know what that is? <laughs> that's Family. Family roots for you when the whole rest of the world has already sat down. Family says, that's my family, when the rest of the world ignores. Family stands up and yells louder than the crowd. And family tells you they're proud of you when nobody else notices. That's what family does. Is the rest of the world may not notice and the rest of the world may stay seated But family stands up and says, I'm proud of you. I think that's what Jesus does. I think all the things that the world doesn't notice that really matter, the things that Paul describes, humility, (laughs) patience, all those things, when the rest of the world doesn't acknowledge that, I think Jesus stands up and says, I'm proud of you. I think he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. I think that's what God says. I think that's how the church is supposed to be. That no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your ability or lack thereof, you are instantly a part of this team, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And when you become a part of this team, we will root for you until Jesus returns and takes us home. This morning, the band's going to come and lead us in our song. And I had a friend this week who was talking about this sermon series, and she said it this way. She said, the church is these things... Not because of who we are, not even because of what we do, but the church is these things because God declares that the church is these things. She says it's kind of the same with family. She said we're family not because of what we do, but because of who we already are as a member of that family and because of what Jesus has done. She said in this series, she said I'm really just looking at what, we're really just looking at what it looks like to actually live into the identity of what God has already told us we are. And I don't know about you, Journey, but I'm excited for that, to be reminded of who God has already said we are, and to be reminded of who we are supposed to be because of what Jesus has done. We lived in Illinois before I moved here. My oldest son, Colby, is 13. He was about two weeks old, maybe at the time, maybe one week, and uh, my wife and I were incredible parents uh, before we had kids. And then... uh, (laughs) Like, Colby had been home, and he's crying and screaming, and, like, we, we changed his diaper, we fed him, we burped him, we rocked him. By we, I mean Megan, but I was there, and, uh, like, nothing worked. And so, like, we called this lady in our church, her name was Mary, we kind of called her Mama Mary. She had, like, a 1,000 kids and, like, 20,000 grandkids, and she ran a daycare, and we're like, Mary, we don't know what to do, like, I think our kid's possessed, and what are we going to do? And she says, just calm down, I'll be there in a few minutes. And so I'm a fixer, like, right? So I'm ready. I got my, I'm, my game plan ready, and she comes in the door, and I'm like, all right, Mary, what do I need to do? And at that time, I had built this super sweet man cave in my garage, and Mary walks in. She goes, I need you to go to the garage. I said, can do. I need you to shut the door, can do, and don't come out until I get you, can do. And, uh, and so I go to the garage, and like two hours later, Mary knocks on the door and comes in. I'm watching Sports Center, and she says, everything's okay. She says, Megan's asleep, Colby's asleep, everything's good, I'm gonna go home, you just call me if you need me again. I was like, you are some kind of wizard, (laughs) right? I'm like, how do we ever repay you? And I remember this, she said to me, she says, well Justin, that's what family does. You're family now. That's what we want this place to be, that's what we wanna be as a group of people the church is not these four walls it's not what we do on sunday morning the church is family it's family because jesus died so we could be together and so we want to love people we want to love each other differently than the world does we want to serve without asking for anything in return we want to be there and root for each other when everybody else sits down not because of who we are but because of who jesus is and because that's what family does Because we serve a Savior. We serve a Savior who went to the cross and died for us. Who provided what we could not provide ourselves when we were crying in our sin. And I go to Jesus and go, Jesus, why would you do this? And I think maybe Jesus would say, because that's what family does. This morning we're going to sing. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to help us be that kind of family to each other and to the world around us. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, boy, we would love for you to be a part of this family. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, not even because of what you can be, but because we know that Jesus died for you. And we know the only thing good in us is that. And we want you to know that love and hope too. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to do that. Let's stand and let's sing.